Hi, I'm Jennifer Mulholland. And I'm Jeff Shuck. We're the co-leaders of Plenty. Thanks for joining our podcast, Plenty for Everyone. Each episode, we talk with conscious leaders like you to explore abundance in work and life, fulfillment in head and heart, and ways we can all work together to make this world a better place. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to Plenty for Everyone. This is Jennifer Mulholland. I am one of the co-principals of Plenty, as many of you know, joined by my partner, Jeff Shuck. Welcome, Jeff. Hi, everybody. Jeff is in Michigan City, Indiana at the Plenty office in the Midwest, and I am calling from our retreat center, Heart Space in beautiful Park City, Utah. And we have such a fun episode today as we celebrate our 10th year anniversary, a whole decade. It's amazing. Of plenty. We made it. As we celebrate on November 28th, 2023, 10 years of helping conscious leaders and conscious businesses like yourselves grow from the inside out in so many ways. And we are just so thrilled to have a conversation today as we look back on the last 10 years and explore 10 things we've learned in 10 years, this decade. There are many, <laughs> lot, so many, but we've we've kind of allowed the top 10, if you will, to bubble up and we're gonna explore and share that in how it's really impacted our own personal growth the growth of our business, the growth of who we serve and how we serve. So welcome and congratulations to us. It's amazing. We, it's amazing. And the other milestone is this is our 50th podcast episode. Yes, true, true. That happened fast or kind of fast. So it felt fitting to do the 50th episode on 10 years in business and in partnership and changing lives and making a difference. And oh my goodness, that happened fast. Holy hell. Right? What the hell? <laughs> oh my God. Wow. In we a were... really cool, well, we would not say coincidence, in a really cool synergy, the plenty was incarnated on Thanksgiving in 2013. So Plenty's first day of being was Thanksgiving Day, which is so it's always really cool and meaningful that a company that's named for abundance and that celebrates gratitude celebrates its birthday on or around Thanksgiving every year. This year we're a little bit off, but we're going to be in the in the vibe of gratitude, which is so plenty. I mean, that was like it's the best symbolism ever. Yeah. And so much to be grateful for. And as we know, and as you've heard us talk about that, the more awareness we can bring to the things that we've been given, blessings in all forms, genuinely feeling gratitude for them, we usher in more to be thankful for. And I feel so full and thankful for our clients and thankful mm -hmm. for our Lantern participants and graduates and partners and team members, past and present and future, just who has really shaped who we've become as people, as change agents, as visionaries, as contributors, as leaders, and as learners. We have learned so much from our clients. Yeah. 
on the individual personal soul level of what's possible when you get strangers from all over the world and all over the country in a room being willing to go deep and vulnerable and what happens in that space is so transformational. It really has left an incredible, indelible like imprint on what's possible and what's hopeful. And then seeing our the businesses and the mm. brands in the for-profit and nonprofit sector who really give a shit about making this world better and in their own way and in their own craft, whether it's ice cream or spirit or insurance or cleaning up the oceans or cancer, that there has been such a galvanization of the people that rally around a cause and really create positive impact. It has been a privilege to be a part of that. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you started there. And while we're starting there, let's also thank everybody who's listened to the podcast, everyone listening to this episode, everyone who's read the blog and signed up for our mailing list. We never imagined that we'd be reaching tens of thousands of people. Um, all of the team members, past, present, and future who've come in, who've allowed us to learn with you and sometimes have learned with us about what is working and what doesn't and all of the great partners and vendors that we've had who've helped us grow it's it's a pretty big milestone for any business to get to 10 years but given the work that we do it feels really meaningful so thank you to everyone who's been on the journey and this list what's so great about this list is looking at the 10 things we're going to talk about this really is a list that's like 10 years in the making yeah there's so much here this might end up being a 5 hour podcast episode <laughs> and yet it was so easy to create you know we both took a little bit of time over the last week and reflected on 10 things that we wanted to share and in our way i wrote five down and you wrote five down and we put the list together and we were like this is a great list so i'm excited to talk about these topics and kind of what we learned and where we were 10 years ago and maybe a little bit on this episode we'll look ahead to what we're going what's one place that we're going that most of the listeners know is that we're we've written a book it's coming out in spring of 2024 and it was really cool to look at this list and realize that every single topic on here is covered in the book in some way shape or form so i think we're practicing what we preach and we're definitely preaching what we practice and i'm excited to i'm excited to go down memory lane with you on this list <laughs> yes yes so shall we begin Let's do Our top it. 10 things we've learned in 10 years. Hopefully this resonates for you and you can uh, apply it to your own life and business um, as well. So maybe I'll kick off with the first one. How does that sound? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So our first learning is the power of presence. Now, those of you who know us and who have listened, you've heard us talk about this before, but really it you know, our presence, what we bring to a conversation, where we choose to show up, the impression we leave behind when we leave a room or leave a conversation, that imprint is uniquely ours. And we really can control it. Oftentimes we take it for granted as to the impact we have on people's lives beyond what we say and do. It's really showing up, bringing our full attention 
to the present moment. It is a giant practice to do because we're hijacked all the time with distractions and interruptions and technology. And it's such a discipline to constantly bring yourself back to here and now being fully attentive to the moment. But when we do that, it's almost like we enliven all of our multidimensional sensations. And we've been designed to not just see or hear and having, you know, very linear or didactic way of taking information. We literally are wired for multidimensional sensing. And when we bring our full attention to the present moment, activating our presence, what happens is that we actually can not only see more, but we hear more and we're able to sense more. And when we do that, we actually connect the dots. Our brains create a synapsis of meaning, of connection, of um, context that happens at a really effective and quick way, quick rate, if you will. What happens is that we be actually become more efficient and productive with what we do with that information if we're paying attention. So the power of our presence not only helps us to be more effective in our roles and in our jobs, but it really helps create a positive impression if that's what our intention is um, or negative impression if that's not what our intention is on the people that we meet and see. And I think part of what we've been playing with over the last decade is how does that work for us? You know, if that's true, what do I want my presence to be in my community? What do I want my presence to be in a room facilitating and speaking? What do I want my presence to be in my relationships and partnerships? And it has taken a ton of practice to know when I'm feeling like I'm on with my presence or off with it. I think the last thing I'd say, and then I'd love for making room of how you've been in relationship with this learning and what you've seen is I think it's really underrated of how important it is and how much we need it from one another, that full attention to be seen and heard and supported and gotten. Like when we're in a conversation, oftentimes the aching, the yearning is for someone to hold space with their presence to just be with Mm -hmm. us, regardless of what's going on, whether it's a celebration or whether it's a really shitty, tough moment that we're working through that often the healing and the, the connection that's needed most is just somebody else's presence. And that's really the gift, the present pun on words that we give each other, right? Is we literally can gift one another, our presence, and often that's enough. So still in practice of that, there's times where that gets hijacked all the time, but um, in reflection, it's, it's really, as you know, I say our superpower. Yep. This is, there's no accident. This is the number one Jen calls presence, our superpower. And uh, I think the way you practice it, it is, I think it's been harder practice for me at times. Um, What I love that you pointed to is that this, 
this has been a learning. This hasn't been easy all the time. You know, yeah. Jeannie and I have four kids. You and Christian have two kids. So right there off the bat, you know, probably like many of the people listening, we have busy households, busy calendars, busy schedules. You pride yourself. I think 10 years ago, I really would pride myself on how I was able to do multiple things at once. And of course, now, like we've all heard kind of the dime store self-help around multitasking isn't effective and how no one actually multitasks. We're just constantly switching. And I don't mean to say that it's dime store. I just mean to say that it's like repeated a lot. Like we've all kind of heard the idea that you can't effectively multitask, but we're all called to do that so often in our right. lives. So I think the real practice for us has been, and it, alluding to something else we're going to talk about in a bit, putting time to the idea that presence is a virtue and that when clients are hiring us to be there for them, that means we have to really be there for them and we have to put away the distractions and listen and hold space. So that's one thing that occurs to me. The other thing that I love that you said, I mean, we could spend an hour on just this, this thing, but I think one of the blessings of COVID, and there have been blessings of that period that was so difficult for so many people in this country, one of the blessings is I think there's been a renewal on literally the benefit of being present, of being in the room. And we talk about this a lot, you know, Zoom is more effective than email and being in person is way more effective than Zoom. And I do feel like we've learned that there was there was kind of this moment when we were growing at a rapid rate in, you know, 2017, 2018. And we really wished for less travel and more conference calls and more video calls. And I would say plenty was using Zoom way before COVID. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I remember getting on meetings and or go to meeting or mm -hmm. <laughs> blue jeans or whatever crazy video conference solution Skype. we were using at the time. Yeah, exactly. And how novel our clients thought that would be. And I think we quickly, more than most people, got to the got to realize the limit to that, you know. And and when we can be with people, it's so much deeper. There's so much more information when you're together in person. You know, we're coming off of our fall lantern class and our which is our leadership retreat, if you don't know. And it's amazing what happens when people get together in a room. So I think that is what's what's present to me about presence as well as how you can feel someone when you're in the room with them. You can feel their mood, their vibe, their energy, and it gives you so much richness. It gives so much information to the conversation that you don't get when you're trying to do it without being there. Yeah. I think one of the things that you just sparked also about that we talked about at Lantern is you know, really managing our energy. If, if you believe, and I believe that everything's energy, then, you know, where we choose to show up with our attention, with our presence is a choice. And oftentimes if we're, if we're showing up in too many places, if we're on a shit ton of boards, if we are doing, our plates are too full, we don't have any space and we're going from one thing to another because we feel like we have to be present everywhere. 
it that the energy kind of gets it sucks the life force out of us and over time then we get burnt out and exhausted and overwhelmed and i know i've experienced that of like it's just too much i can't do this all right mm-hmm. so really intentionally choosing where we actually show up with our mm-hmm. presence and being more conservative with it as silly as that sounds yeah. like being more intentional that do I really need to say yes? Do I really need to be there? So that where we do really choose to lean in and be present and say yes, we can really drop in to be all there instead of partly there. Because that quality and that the qualification of our presence really determines the experience of Mm. the exchange, the transformation of whatever is needing to happen and the interaction, like how present we are in wherever we choose to show up to be present really is, um, it really changes Mm -hmm. the quality. So we can't be everywhere. Otherwise we just exhaust ourselves. So I think that, you know, I feel like has become a new lesson of where are we choosing to bring our presence? And it's a choice that we have to be in control of where we show up and where we don't. Oh, I love that idea. That let's let's save that one for a follow-up. I think we could do a whole episode on that idea that presence is is a renewable resource, but it's finite, like willpower. You know, okay. you can rebuild your willpower, but you only have so much each day. I love that idea and it it calls us to be intentional, which is a another word that we love. Yeah. So let's go to the second. The second thing that we've learned in 10 years is to follow flow. And we've talked about this a lot on the podcast when we share the metaphor of the river and being aware of where the current is going and aligning yourself with the current instead of pushing against it. And holy smokes, has this been graduate school for me the last 10 years because I, like so many people, like so many business owners and executives and people who are wired to try to achieve, man, that word try, right? Try, 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 push, push, push. And I really used to, I really used to live by the old adage of when the going gets tough, the tough get going, you know, that when you hit resistance or when things start to feel like a slog, you just need to work harder. And that was really successful for me until it wasn't right? It was really successful until it became too hard to keep pushing and too hard to keep striving and too hard to push against the flow of life. And the idea of actually slowing down, being aware and seeing where there's momentum. And, you know, if, if that group that you're selling doesn't call you back for three weeks, stop reaching out to them. If you're struggling to write a blog post, it's not coming to you, put it down instead of pushing through. If you're wondering about the best input or perspective to give a client and it's not coming to you, go take a walk. That that whole idea of being attuned to resistance, seeing resistance as a tool and a, and a helpful guidepost instead of an obstacle to overcome. And then being more aware of 
where the universal energy is, you know, where the where the divine spark is guiding you and and stepping into that. I think uh, of many things I think I've learned from our partnership, I would put this at the top of, and you have constantly been a coach to me, Jen, about not pushing, not striving, you know, lifting our feet up in the river and letting the current take us. And we're, I'm always surprised at how much further I go when I do that. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, it's certainly been a practice. And I feel like over the last decade, there have been moments of awakenings and ahas and sparks of like how to practice in a different way. I love that as one of our core company values that we align on, that um, really has become a teacher to notice where the flow is and where it's not you know, we've all heard the idea of what you resist persist. And at being an athlete my whole life, like you train hard, there's, there is resistance, muscles need resistance to grow. And I too prided myself on being creative of how to overcome and go underneath and around and strategize how to solve things and how to overcome those blocks and challenges until I started to see that that actually was exhausting me and Mm -hmm. draining my own resources and frustrating me and taking a ton of effort of drive to overcome. Mm. And I don't know when I had this visual, but it was like, one day I kind of could see the staples easy button as a choice point. And it was like, well, why don't I, I get to choose. Can I just hit the easy button? What would my life be like if I actually hit the easy button instead of trying to have things be hard or work around? And I come from some lineage in my family that I won't go to get into, but this ethos of like, if it's not, if you, if you haven't put hard work in it, it doesn't count this idea, like hard work is actually the highest value. And I've really unplugged from that and seeing like, oh, that doesn't, that's not a choice I want to make anymore. That doesn't work for me. And that is a family pass down that is stopping with my generation. I have no interest in plugging into that anymore. I, I want to choose that I can pick the, press the easy button at any time. Why does it have to be difficult can I notice where the flow is? And to your beautiful examples, can I leave things alone if they are not working or they are, have too much resistance? Where is the shift in my attention? Because whatever I'm focusing on, I'm feeding and whatever I'm feeding, I'm forming. And so the more I focus on the resistance, the more that resistance grows. And, and it just has been a really helpful tool. Can I just leave it alone? Can I trust that the universe, what the field of well-being, divine intelligence, whatever you name that to be, is going to shift something where I will see something different, where it will be less sticky? And over here, can I lean more into, well, where are things flowing? Where do I feel like I'm leaning in? Where is there momentum, to use the word that you just shared? And there's feels like there's always a, a choice, right? There feels yeah. like there's yeah. always a subject where the current is flowing. It may not be the same subject, 
or it may not be the same content. Yeah. There's always mo- like energy flowing, the current is flowing, the synchronicity is there in some way. And if I can learn to move in that direction, things feel more aligned. And that I feel like is the core of our work is, you know, being aware, being aligned and being intentional. I get to choose where I'm placing my attention. You know, in martial arts, you're taught in many forms that you, you know, you actually don't push against the energy and the resistance. You move with it and you channel it and you redirect it. And that's, I think, what we're pointing to. It's like the river flows. Well, where's that current? And how can you be in right relationship with it or relationship with it, the redirection of it? Yeah, it's like move the cart in the direction of the horse, right? It's yeah. it's like if you're getting a lot of momentum doing engagements on strategy, stop selling the engagements on analytics, just to pull uh, an example from our own history. Right. The other thing I want to introduce as a corollary before we move on to the third one is I've been heavily influenced by a writer named Stephen Pressfield, who wrote a book called The War of Art. And he talks about the idea of resistance and that the artist's way is to overcome resistance. And I still buy that a bit. What I think I've learned through following flow is how often I invent resistance, how the the resistance isn't really there. And the joke I always use internal to plenty is that it takes four hours to write a blog post three hours to complain about writing it and then 10 minutes to outline it and half an hour to write it and then 20 minutes to post it. I mean, it doesn't really take that long to do a lot of things that um, I need to do in my daily life, but I blow them up into such like huger deals than they are. And the idea of following flow kind of helps me come back down and center myself to this really isn't that difficult I'll just spend an hour on the blog post when I'm ready for it instead of spending four hours on it when I don't feel like doing it. So more to unpack on that one. That could be a whole nother episode too. Yeah. Shall we go to the third one? Let's do it. The third one is kind of relation in relationship to both of these ideas, but we've really learned the power of creating space, creating more space, creating open space in your day and calendar, creating... I'll call it sacred space. So space Mm. to be with your whole self, to drop in soul space, to connect with your soul, your spirit, what your essence, your energy, the higher force working with you that you're a part of that's beyond just your body. And most importantly, self space. So more alone time, more meetings with Jennifer for myself, Mm. more for you meetings with Jeff, more time to go take the dogs for a walk or go out in nature, more unscheduled or unstructured time has been really helpful to reconnect to who I am, to who I want to be, to allow new inspiration and ideas to come through. And it helps me fill up. It helps me, you know, replenish the energy that is going out to serve others. I am way more of a giver than I am a receiver. And so space is helping me experiment with what 
actually does fill my soul? What does help my body relax? Where do I fill up? And as it as it relates to our clients, what we've noticed, it's why we built out a retreat center called Heart Space. Mm. The idea to give space to not only our mental, intellectual acuity, acuity and acumen and intelligence, but to give space for what lights us up? What do we really care about? Why are we here? What are we here to do to make this world a better a better planet, a better way. And when we have clients that value space and they invest in space for their team, meaning they see a need to extract the team, the company, the leaders from their current space to create open space to be able to really connect human to human, heart to heart, mind to mind, that's where magic has it happens. Yeah. And that kind of relates to, you know, the power of presence in human form that there's times where we really need to be alone. We need to be okay knowing ourselves, having a relationship with ourselves and finding a different way to connect with more open space to allow the conversation, to allow the strategic thinking, to allow the alignment, to allow the challenges and the elephants in the room to be surfaced. Oftentimes they don't get surfaced unless space is created and then safe space is made, right? This place yeah. where we can drop in to trust that it's okay to be open and honest. And when I go to that place, we can really, you know, build from there. So the, the idea of creating more space, it's almost like working less, the idea of four day work weeks. And, you know, maybe you can talk about how we've actually practically implemented this at Plenty, but number three, create more space. Yeah. And I, I think, for most people listening, take one look at your work calendar and you'll see what we're pointing to in the problem that it causes. You know, I think 90% of the leaders we work with, if we look at their Outlook calendar, it's booked from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And there's no value that's put on individual alone time. I mean, we could go really deep on this. Mm -hmm. I think 20 years ago when people constructed or 30 years ago, the open office plan, the idea was going to be there's no silos and there's no hierarchy and we all share everything. And look, that's great, except we work in with companies where nobody has any personal space at all. And what happens, everybody wears headphones because they're so, so desperate to create a little bit of alone time. You know, most cultures that we work with, want people to be in meetings like 10 hours in a row when you get any work done let alone go to the bathroom right so this this idea is really like starts practically with creating more time in your day i think i've talked on the podcast before about a mentor of mine listening to me complain 13 or 14 years ago about not having time to myself because we had small kids and i was busy building a company and he said, well, I guess you need to wake up earlier. And I started waking up at 530. And for 12 years in a row, I've written in a journal every day for 12 years. 
And just that 15 or 20 minutes or sometimes 30 minutes or sometimes five minutes of space to myself became a huge game changer. And I think we could extend that to just how open space between meetings helps people, how getting outside space to get outside helps people think more. Just the idea of you know, having having room to allow new thoughts come in, I think, is a game changer. And one of my favorite um, quotes is a man named Dehawk, who actually founded Visa, that I wanted to share. He says, the problem is never how to get new innovative thoughts into your mind, but how to get the old thoughts out. If you make an empty space in any corner of your mind, creativity will instantly fill it. And just that idea of having time to yourself, having open time in the day to allow new ideas to come in is a game changer. So you mentioned this earlier, Jen. Um, We, about five years ago, started something we call Free Fridays. We closed the office at noon on Friday. And it's a massive game changer. I mean, just to allow, first of all, people like to go to the dentist and, you know, go work out or do yoga without feeling like they're squeezing it in between work. But that was, I think, the first idea. But what's unfolded is, I think, for all of us and the ability to start to pursue things that we feel like we wouldn't normally do on a Friday, the chance to unwind a little bit, the chance to go into the weekend rested instead of looking at the weekend like it's the time to recover. It's really made a huge change in our in our view and our experience. Yeah, and it's taken a lot of pressure off. I think before we did that, I just felt like we were on the hamster wheel that we were telling our clients, clients to get off of. And it just, mm. there was no time for for ourselves and it was really hard to keep up on the demand of the work with the schedules we were keeping and the travels we were doing and it the irony is we had control over that we could create a boundary and the moment we did you know it opened up a, a just a well of being mm-hmm. able to nourish ourselves which has really shifted in terms of recovery and kind of rejuvenation and what's needed on the weekends I love the quote that you shared because I just want to also point to, I think this idea of ideas can come in. Like if we're too crowded in our minds and we have too much thinking happening, I mean, thinking's happening all the time. We have over 70,000 thoughts a day. Um, When we're doing activities that can help to kind of quiet that pace, like you know, putting ourselves first in the morning for, you know, writing in our journal or, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I pick one of my Oracle cards and meditate um, before I go to yoga. And yoga has been so interesting because I'm doing an activity, but I'm, my mind is, is quiet because I'm really focused and present on the Mm. demand of what is happening at that moment, at that time physically. I'm starting to bring a journal to my yoga classes because Mm -hmm. what's happening is now the quieter my mind gets, the more ideas come into that space. But I'm making space to, to do something for me physically and mentally for sure, a de-stressor, a place where I 
get in tune with my own flow and alignment of my body and being. But what I've been so surprised at is the ideation and the downloads that are happening in that space where I'm not thinking about, I'm not working on it. I'm not, you know, I'm thinking about something different and in that space between the thoughts, other ideas drop in. And whether that is like taking a nice shower or a bath or going for a walk, like what D Hawk is pointing to is that the more space we create, the more tuned in we can be with the creative muse, the ideas that naturally will drop in without us having to make them up, right? Or manifest them ourselves. Right. Everybody's busy just, or everybody's creative. Just some of us are too busy to tap into that. I love that quote and that idea. Yeah. It's certainly been a, a big practice. So our fourth one kind of follows from the last three. These all kind of blend together in a certain way. I really can see our 10 years of learning here. Mm -hmm. It's really fun. The fourth, our fourth lesson is not to pull the rope. And it's interesting that I wrote this down because this is actually a phrase that I learned from you that you say a lot. So I'm going to tee it up and then let you let you talk about it more. It's kind of a motto that we use to kind of say, stop proving, stop convincing, stop cajoling, stop trying to maneuver. I think specifically a big learning for us has been in the sales process about kind of convincing people that they want to work with us. We don't do that anymore. And we're going to talk about that more in a later one. But we mean it beyond that. It's not just about sales. It's about like kind of not needing to justify who you are or explain yourself, but not pull the rope. Don't bring people along. And I think the training ground here has often been coworkers and people that have been on our team. And especially when we got more and more into conscious strategy, conscious leadership, the idea of spirituality and business, bringing your full self to work, a lot of the things that we talk about every day in the podcast, not all of our team members at the time were comfortable with that. And we spent some time, this was long ago, trying to convince people that that it was important. And I remember this was years and years ago, but having a lot of conversations with you where you would say, we have to stop pulling the rope. We have to stop trying to like get people to believe things that they don't believe and let them choose what they want, which might mean choosing out of plenty. Um, You know, I'm kind of wired to want everybody to like me. It's a great strength and it's a huge weakness and it's a huge practice ground for me over the last 10 years. And this one's really been a great learning. I think it leads into authenticity, which we're going to talk about more here in a bit, but not needing to always justify and explain is how I'd sum up. Don't pull the rope. Yeah. I I definitely see it so differently today than I did like seven years ago. And I think the phrase really came to us when we were working with a large client. I wish I could name them a very well-known brand. And I learned a lot from them. I I would, would love to go back and say, thank you, you know, because they have no idea what a teacher they were to us in, you know, leading a session and really feeling that energy of like knowing what you, 
see is best for them and kicking into that convincing, proving, striving mode, which in my kind of shadow side is, is that shadow side of Jennifer that has had that kind of tendency to want to be seen and want to be right and want to accomplish and want to be successful. And the Mm, way I've like done that is to like put my view of the world onto you and, or to prove to you why I'm valuable and, or why we're valuable and have a, a great solution for you. And I don't, what, what I know about that engagement was it was so toxic And it was so striking that they weren't ready to hear our message. They weren't ready to be facilitated in the way that we wanted to. And so it was a mismatch. And what happened energetically was we came back and we, I, we, we were so exhausted. I was so drained. I didn't get out of my pajamas for the whole weekend. And that's just so not me. And I remember being like, wow, this is the consequence of pulling the rope of trying to prove to somebody mm-hmm. or or others or an organization that the process is worth is worth trusting and they did not want to be there. So yeah. I we learned so much of that and I think what has happened in sales as an example um or attendees coming to um our retreats is really trusting that Again, I'm going to come back to energy, like frequency, like attracts like. And so the clearer we can be with our intention, the clearer we can be with our light and our energy and our frequency, the clearer the match will be at that level. Um, I really do believe that. And it doesn't mean that we don't serve and help people that have different points of view or different energies than ourselves, but being in a different relationship with, I get to be, we get to be more authentically ourselves and trust that if that is a match for others, which it often is, then what happens is it becomes easy. And this is where we go into following flow. It, it actually is easier to find that match by being more authentic and vulnerable and real forthright than it is to try and convince somebody your value, your enoughness, your worth. And that is something like that has been really uncomfortable to practice and scary at times that even with team members, uh, especially around the spirituality front, like why are we talking about soul and heart space and in business? I mean, I just remember those days were so difficult for me. I knew that was why I was here and why what my contribution can be to plenty and many more things, but it was so met with resistance and felt very difficult to find my way around other than pulling the rope. And so I think there, this has been really helpful for us to know when we are kicking into proving, striving, convincing, we're off. And it's as simple as just saying that we know that we're off. This is off. It's becoming too difficult. We're having too many, many meetings on it. We're discussing it too much and is leaving us frustrated, triggered, drained, 
exhausted. Those are all the cues for us that eh, it's off for us. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'll let you get a word in, but that's- no, no the, I, what I love is all of these probably have a deeper spiritual practice or deeper, like other message. And what occurs to me as you're, as I listen to you talk about pulling the rope, the real practice for me around this has been being comfortable with people not agreeing, being comfortable with there being other viewpoints in the world. And sometimes I want to shut them all down and close all my social media feeds and take my football and go play by myself. And other times I want to shout over people and tell them I'm right. But really the practice about not pulling the rope isn't just about being being confident enough not to persuade people. It's about being comfortable with there being other viewpoints and they don't necessarily impact me. I can hold space for people to disagree without taking them on. And I really do think that's something, you know, at 53, I'm way more ready for than I was at 43, where it seemed like if we didn't agree, we didn't get along. And now I really see the possibility of everyone getting along, even if they don't agree, even though that seems to be in smaller supply than ever in the world. I think that's what we're called here for just like we're whole and complete, whether anyone necessarily sees our viewpoint, that doesn't mean that we don't listen, we don't speak from intent and that gets to where we're going to go next. But but I don't need my identity isn't wrapped up in someone else telling me I'm right. Yeah. And I think that's been the big learning for me. I love that distinction and it's a nuance. And I think it's really important to share. Hopefully you hear the spirit at which we're sharing. I love that point of like this neutral detachment. It's not that we're coming from a place of wanting everybody to agree with us. It's detaching from the need to be right. Uh, it's detaching from having to prove your your point of view to yeah. somebody that is yeah. not ready or willing to hear that. And there's a neutrality to what you're talking about. There's a detachment. There's a knowing like I can share my perspective and I can hold space and genuinely be interested to a different point of view. That is different than trying to prove to you that my view is the right view. And I think that's where we're really Mm. an inquiry and practice of not pulling the rope and yet the authenticity of really knowing thyself and knowing what works for you, knowing what you stand for, knowing what matters and allowing others to have the same right. But, you know, how we go about making choices, I think what we're pointing to is it feels a lot better and it has become more productive for us if we follow flow rather than try to convince and prove and pull the rope. Yeah. And the other trap here, I had to look it up. So if you heard me typing, I was looking up the source of this. My not my old boss, but my my first boss's kind of colleague way back 30 years ago had a sign in his office from John Morley, I had to look it up, that said, you have not converted a person simply because you have silenced them. And I think my younger self, I used to be pretty good at silencing people. You know, I just argued, I'd, I'd out argue people. I would out volume them. <laughs> I would outlast them a lot of times. And 
that's different than helping someone see their own wisdom. And I think it's really different what Plenty does now than 10 years ago, you know, helping people come up with their own conclusions, right? Helping people see Jennifer phrase that you brought to Plenty that you use all the time, the wisdoms in the room, instead of us coming in like we're the experts and we have the wisdom. No, our role is actually to help facilitate the groups that we work with and the people that we work with to find their own wisdom. And, and that doesn't happen if you're pulling the rope, right? Right. Yeah. All right. So shall we go to number, <laughs> what are we on? Five? <laughs> what are we, 60 minutes in already? Right? Let's keep going. Yeah. All keep right. going. Thank you listeners for sticking to us. Number five. Our number five, one of our favorites is the practice of deeply listening or deep listening is how we talk about it. But this idea that not just listening with our ears, but listening beyond the form, listening beyond the words somebody uses, mm -hmm. listening to the cues that are being shown to you outside of yourself or in another person that is engaging with you. What do you notice? What do you see? What do you sense? And noticing it as you are in relationship with that person or conversation or topic, listening deeply to the cues that your body are sending you inside. Mm -hmm. Yes. What yes. is your inner voice saying? Is your inner voice saying this is bullshit? Is your inner voice saying, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Is your body relaxed and open or is your body tense and wanting to get the hell out of the conversation? You know, I feel like there's there's such a need to practice deeply listening to each other, dropping from the surface exchange to the deep connection that we're yearning for. And the only way we can do that is going back to number one is being fully present, right? Yeah. But being fully present invites us to drop in more deeply. And when we can notice the cues that are happening outside of ourselves or in another, we get the opportunity to not only have broader awareness to what's going on, but we also have an opportunity to check out what we're seeing mm. or sensing or hearing. And I don't feel like we have that well-practiced in society. Maybe if you have gone to therapy, you're taught the art of mirroring back. This is what I hear you say. Is this accurate? It's a really helpful coaching tool, human tool, right? But what I think this has sparked for us is we had, we have the privilege of working over several years with some of our clients. And so we get to know them really well. Mm -hmm. And not too long ago, one of our executives on our bi-weekly calls came on and she just wasn't herself. She felt distracted and down and something else was cueing us to, un, to, to be curious about what is going on. And I'm really glad we asked and we kind of stopped the nature of the business conversation and yeah. just asked what was going on with her. She felt so seen and heard and supported that we cued into that. And I felt really good that we did. And it reminded me to constantly check out what we're seeing and sensing 
so that we can know if it's true or not. Because sometimes it works the other way, like you're picking up on something and being empathic, like it's easy to pick up on a lot of people's energy, especially when we work with groups, it's hard to know what you're picking up. And mm-hmm. so sometimes reflecting back and checking in can really help create congruency, like can dissolve dissonance, can create more alignment with you and the other person that they really feel heard and seen because you have cued in to deeply listen to where they're coming from, mm-hmm. not necessarily exactly what has been said or what you're talking about. So it is, it's something that you and I practice a lot in our co-leadership, especially on our standing awesome hours we have every day to yeah. align our leadership and our work that sometimes we've had a really rough night or we've had a lot going on with our kids or family or we didn't sleep. And so the mood is different and learning to check that out, like what's what's palatable to discuss? Where are we in our mental mindset that day to be able to take on what we're, is on our calendars? Those kinds of checking out and deeply listening has become a really helpful practice, I think, with our clients, our Lantern graduates of reading the room, but also with our team and our, our co-leadership. Yeah, I love this. This feels so present right now because we're, as I said earlier, we're coming off of a week at Lantern, which is just about deep sharing and deep listening. And it's so rewarding that we have people say to us, I never felt like I've been listened to like I was. And not about how we listen to them, but about how their colleagues, their podmates listen to them. I think you did an incredible job of sharing that there's just two points I wanted to underline. And one is something that we say at the beginning of every retreat that you brought up, this idea of listening to yourself, about not taking your thoughts at face value, about attuning to what in many people is a constant, never-ending stream of internal chatter. And when you can just be aware of that a little bit, there's that word awareness again, you can look at it a little more dispassionately and see that it doesn't necessarily embody you, that it represents a set of thoughts that you can choose or not. And I think that idea of deeply listening, not only to my leanings, my urges, what I like, what I don't like, but can I see the chatter when I get caught in that wave of chatter? How do I just lift my feet up and float float out of it? The other thing that I think we practice a lot and that this is going to sound arrogant, but I think it's more needed in the world, I'll just say, is that idea of listening beyond position, listening not for debate. I think many of us in the way that we teach in this country, at least, are taught to listen to win an argument, right? Back to what I was sharing on the last point. That's very different than listening for understanding, listening for someone's intent, listening for commonality, listening for alignment, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. And, you know, just listening to respond so I can win the argument. I mean, it infuriates me to watch political debates now for so many reasons. But the biggest is like the listening is so bad. Nobody even cares to have, it's not a debate. It's just a set of responses that don't really even depend on what the other person said. 
so I find debate deficient to begin with. And then the idea that the the responses are just detached from the other comments just doesn't resonate with me at all. And deeply listening is about listening for listening beyond position. There's probably an easier way to say that. That might be a little bit inside baseball, but I'm not trying to decide if I agree with you or not. I'm just trying to understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's so powerful. I love that point. And just only you know how you're showing up if you're trying to communicate or listen from one position. And I think as our awareness expands, we get to try on different points of view and perspectives. And that's part of awareness. I think the other point you made, I just wanted to offer a specific example that dropped in around listening to your own dialogue in a certain situation, your own voice and pattern. So when I was in my young 20s, I was studying with a spiritual teacher, a healer, a Jungian psychologist who taught me how to interpret dreams and work with a lot of different healing energies. And I trained with her with intuitive development and lived on her organic farm for five years and shadowed an apprentice how to facilitate group therapy, vision quests, had many past life regressions, and it was intense healing work. And after about five years of time, during one of the group sessions, I was scribing and that was kind of my role. I would track everything. And then we would talk about what I learned from the group and it was quite intense. And through a series of kind of growing up and seeing that I was really giving my power away to her, there was one moment, it was a Thursday night intuitive development session that that had been going on. This was a small group of people that met twice a week for six months. And this was probably the fourth or fifth year doing this. And in my journal, I remember writing, this is bullshit. And that to me was like, I had been thinking about like, just, oh, this doesn't resonate anymore. Wow. I've given so much power away. And it wasn't until that moment when I actually wrote with my own hand, this is bullshit in my journal that really got me to kind of come out and uh, more to say on that whole experience, but it's what you're talking about is like really listening to your own inner dialogue, your own inner speak, because it can be really helpful to really deeply listen to what is working for you and what is not in the moment and how that can govern and help you navigate where, where you choose to, to show up. So anyway, the, it felt really powerful and I never clued in that that was a deep listening moment, but it changed my life. It really changed the trajectory in in wonderful ways and hard ways at that Mm. time. I love that. I love that point of, you know, of not lying to yourself. And that is a bridge into the sixth one, which our sixth lesson is to be who we are. And we mean it, I think personally, we also mean it as a company. 
it really comes directly from deeply listening about what we want and don't want. And what we mean by be who you are is um, don't do the bait and switch. You know, be willing to be honest with yourself. As a company, we actually tell the story in the book about marketing ourselves a little bit different and getting advice to market ourselves different. Like, hey, people aren't ready to address cultural change. So if we sell them strategic planning, then we can address the culture when we get in the room. Or like people really don't want to talk about leadership development, but if you sell them fundraising skill and then you can kind of get get at leadership as you go. Well, doing the bait and switch just makes people pissed off that you put them on the hook, really, is all that it does. It, it ended up being really frustrating for us because we would get clients that didn't really want what we wanted to do. It would be frustrating them because they just wanted someone to do, you know, their fundraising operations or something like that, instead of talking deeply about why the culture was so broken that people were texting about each other behind their backs. So, which is a true story, by the way. So I think that wasn't because of the people we are, it wasn't, didn't take us long to learn that lesson about put your heart on your sleeve, talk directly about what you want to do. If you want people to meditate in the leadership retreat, put meditations as a feature on the leadership retreat. Don't wait until they get there and then hope that they're up for it. And that felt so scary like eight years ago or seven years ago. And now I would say it's totally responsible for our growth is our willingness to constantly say, is this on blueprint is how we would say it. Does this feel like authentically who we are? And constantly being we being willing to revisit that and allow ourselves to revise our own sense of self but you know putting our heart on our sleeves and if you've ever gotten a piece of plenty gear or come to lantern or meridian and we give out awesome swag we pride ourselves on our incredible swag most of the things have a heart embroidered on the sleeve and it's just a little way of saying you know be who you are bring your passion out let people see it don't be someone you aren't so i love this one yeah and it's fucking hard right it, <laughs> yeah it's just, yeah it is None not is easy no it is it has been such a practice and it's still a practice you know for us and for me to be to feel feel love no matter what face you show and to feel feel supported in your moments of rage or overwhelm you know this just surfaced yesterday on our team call I was like totally bitching about social media and frustrated and overwhelmed and kind of in this just pissy soup well, there it's was, not, con- there was constructive feedback is how I would say it. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> that's the human, that's the messy, yeah. overwhelmed side yeah. of myself. I don't really enjoy seeing myself and I don't like mm. to share. And yet that's what we're up for, right? Mm-hmm. We're up, we're, we're, we've built a company based on an idea or an ethos that we don't live a personal life and a professional life we live one life and we Mm. are the common denominator. And so what can our environment be safe enough where we can bring our best selves and our worst selves to the work and to the, 
that's, you know, clearly that's not what is comfortable. I don't like that part of me that gets into the pissy, overwhelm, frustrated aspects, but it is part of my humanness. And, and, you know, it has taken so much practice to bring, to be all of who I am, not the, just the bubbly light being leader, you know, positive Jennifer. It's also means I get to bring my scared little girl who doesn't know how it's all going to work out, who is playing too many roles and feels yeah. lost at times and yeah. confused and alone, you know, often. And so the, we all have these parts of ourselves. And I think what we're talking about is the more we can practice definitely using discernment. So there's moments where it's just not appropriate and not safe to bring those parts of ourselves forward. Fortunately, we have created a family at plenty with the team and with the culture that we have to practice that. And we've committed to practice that. But I will tell you, like even a decade later and decades long, the practice of not feeling spiritually in the closet for me has been taken a ton of experimentation and courage yeah. to, to stand forth, you know, in that space of really showing what my gifts are and what wants to come through and what I'm reading the room and the what's needed for the business is not always in alignment or expectation of the client. And this isn't like this has been resolved. I mean, just two weeks ago, we had a local company here and I know them in certain ways. They know me in certain ways. Most of them don't know, but it still was uncomfortable for whatever reason, because they're in our local town and wanting to make a good impression about, you know, even guiding meditation, the example you just used, like for whatever reason, it wasn't as comfortable as it is at Lantern. And so yeah. it just takes, it's so interesting. I don't feel like that was anything to do with them. It has more to do with my comfortability of being whole, vulnerable, seen, and, you know, authentic in that space versus what I perceive they think of or want or need. So I think it's just a constant practice and the idea of like an encouragement, hopefully you're hearing this hearing our vulnerability too, of like just the world needs, we're here for a reason and we have such a unique offering and it's different than others. And how can we bring more of who we really are, the fullness of that to wherever we're choosing to be? Yeah. And I love that. Also that point of kind of allowing yourself to write your convictions in pencil instead of permanent ink. I think allowing ourselves, part of being who you are is allowing yourself the chance to grow, growing past your previous fears and failings, growing past your previous beliefs that seem like so hardwired into who you are. And, and I think, you know, part of deeply listening, the last one, and is that that, that, ongoing inquiry about, do I like this or not? Like, where am I shutting this out? Why, why, why am I unwilling to be my 
by myself for an evening? Like, why, why do I need a glass of wine at night to, to unwind from work? Like allowing yourself to be in that inquiry allows yourself to say like, this is what I want now. And for plenty, you know, at year 10, I'm excited to look ahead. The next 10 years are going to look nothing like the first 10, maybe, maybe partly there's things that we're going to bring with us that we're excited about. And obviously the book is the next step and it's built on the last 10 years, but I'm excited to see how we continue to grow and change and see the who that we want to be next year, like not allowing ourselves to transform as part of what life's about. Yes. And that takes us into number seven. Yes, let's do it. All right. So this other, this insight, yeah, has come to us through a lot of our practice. And it's this insight that what we share for others is also always for ourselves. And I may drop the also. What we share for others is always for ourselves. This has such been such a cool realization that in the role of coach and consultant, oftentimes we're put in the the role of guide, advisor, as you mentioned, like sometimes the magic answer machine. And wisdom comes through right? In response of what the need or the conversation is at the time. What's so interesting is that if we can really listen to the advice, the perspective, the sharing that we are offering another, whether it's a client, whether it's a partner, whether it's a loved one, whether it's a new Mm. stranger, if we can really tune into what we are sharing with them as advice and guidance it's always for us and honestly i would say we are the intended receiver Mm. and it's a quick way to hire your own coach is to just simply listen to how you are speaking to others (laughs) right i mean it's fascinating if you can really listen to the advice that you're giving others and and put yourself as the subject of the receiving, the receiver on that other end. It's a quick shortcut to have you listen to your own wisdom mm-hmm. and to hear the your own advice that you're seeking because you're giving it to other people. Yeah. And I'm always amazed at like what I don't always think of it, and I know you don't either, but oftentimes that we help each other realize that, oh, what I just shared was so for me, right? And I needed to hear that today. Um, It's like this podcast is hilarious. Like, I think we need to hear all of these things. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Right. So we're even going to share this podcast. Right. Here is just recording this. So what comes out of our mouth is, is our own wisdom and our own coaching designed perfectly for ourselves and designed for the intended recipient on the other end. But don't leave yourself out. What if you're the number one receiver of your own wisdom, of your own advice? Like play with that and see, see what happens, see what you hear and see. Yeah. Well, this reminds me of a favorite line from one of our favorite authors, Michael Neal, who wrote we are not the camera, we're the projector. So we are grown up thinking that we're taking in all this information, all these facts come into our our ears and our eyes and our nose and that we can exactly see the world as it is. 
And that's not really the way our body works like physically. And that's not definitely not the way our mind and psyche works. And we're processing everything and we're seeing things that we feel and we're seeing things that we think. And the idea of listening to what we share, like it kind of embodies that, that we're sharing what we're projecting on people that we think they need, but it's, it's a way of just understanding how we view a situation. And it gets back to, I think, the other thing about this is the value in deep listening and how often I think what's great about our processes as we develop them, I'm thinking of Lantern, but I'm also thinking of Compass, which we do for company cultures and Meridian for strategy. The curriculum is very light. We're asking questions and listening. We're not providing answers. We're listening and giving people space back to that so that they can hear themselves talk and say, oh, wait, wait, wait a second. And what's amazing is when we create that space and when we, I think our expertise is creating the space that's caring, that allows people to share, that feels safe, that broadens what people feel like is, is possible for them. And then, you know, through experience and through presence, crafting some great questions in the moment that when we can do that, people tune into their own wisdom and they realize that they don't need it from someone else that they they talk to each other and someone says, Oh my gosh, you just, you just, you just got it. So all of these things are connected, but I love that idea that we can be our own sage, that we can be our own wise person. We can be our own Oracle um if if we allow ourselves to listen to what we're saying and what we're feeling yeah juicy practice it's juicy this gets us to number eight okay we're in the home stretch here number eight one of our favorite words we've used it probably on every podcast we've ever done and definitely in every engagement that we've ever done our number eight learning is to invest in alignment just the time and practice of understanding where someone else is coming from, aligning the intentions, aligning the outcomes, aligning the vision, aligning the goals, aligning the processes, aligning the moods sometimes, you know, getting the ducks in a row, the process of alignment. I mean, we've done whole episodes about how strategy is about alignment. Strategy is not about PowerPoint or plans or decisions, strategies about us saying, do we agree, right? Because we don't need strategy when things are going wrong. We need strategy when things break. When when you're beating the other team 45 to nothing, you know, you can be pretty loose with the game plan. It's when you're down three scores that you need to all agree on what happens next. So the time that we have spent on alignment trumps the time we have spent on everything else. I mean, Jen, you mentioned it earlier on this podcast, we for years and years and years for the lifetime that we have worked together have had a standing meeting every single day. We spend an hour getting aligned. How are you doing? What is concerning? What are you thinking about now? What's next? Sometimes it's personal conversation, sometimes it's work conversation, and it's all related, right? It's all the same. What do we think about what's next? We're often by Friday revising what we had 
aligned on just a few days before, but it's incredibly intentional. And I, I feel very, um, I guess, gratified and recognized when after a retreat, people come up to us and say, wow, the way that you work together, is really, it's really cool. You know, it's, wow, it's, it's like seamless. It's, and I think it is seamless for the most part, but it comes because of a lot of intention. We have put a lot of practice to staying aligned and to not being scared when we're not aligned, because like any two people were, there are times when we're not aligned, just like any company, just like any family, just like any relationship, just like any marriage. And looking at that as an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to grow instead of as a sign that something's wrong. You know, the places that we feel misaligned with our coworkers or our family members or our friends are the opportunities for deep conversation and real listening. So I just, I love this point. I think it is a dramatic difference in how Plenty conducts itself from 10 years ago when we started, when we were about creating 40 page PowerPoints. And man, those were great PowerPoints. And we wrote some really awesome, very <laughs> thorough reports that told people exactly what they needed to do. And probably all of them were thrown out within a a couple months of being written or a couple of hours if they were ever read. But the idea of creating a process for people where they surface what they really feel, feel comfortable sharing that with other people, and then find the common ground to decide what we do together next, taking into account everybody's viewpoint, that's alignment. And those changes are are lifelong and, and incredibly transformational. So I kind of went off on that one, but yeah, well, it's a big, it's a big practice and it's a big care. I think all of the lessons we've learned in 10 years that we've shared with um, prior to this one, they all build on this one. Like there's no way we can be aligned unless we are practicing presence and whether we're, you know, deep listening and really being more aware of where we are and what matters to us and also where somebody else is coming from alignment is about really knowing thyself and at lantern we talk that about that we are we are a light and alignment's about well if you believe that to be true call it soul essence you know rock star human whatever you name it to be practicing alignment is also knowing where you're not aligned mm-hmm. yeah and as as anybody listening, like our work is at the organizational level. It's at the business level. We love playing there in the growth space. And yet it's all made up of individual people. Mm. And the work is at the individual level. Growth is at the individual level. And when we can really investigate and become curious and committed to knowing thy light, knowing thyself, knowing what works for us. How do we feel when we're in alignment with what lights us up? Mm-hmm. When when we're in alignment with things that bring us joy, when we're in alignment to the flow, like noticing how that feels, right? Oftentimes we the only way we can clarify and know that is the opposite of experience of knowing when we're actually out of flow 
when it doesn't feel good, when things aren't working for us, in that soup, it births a realization of, wow, what's the opposite of that? How would I, how will I know when I'm in alignment and when I'm not? Because it, oftentimes it's hard to build that in a team if we're not, if we don't know what works for us, where we light up, where we lean in and where we lean out, where we contract, where when we're misaligned for ourselves. And I think this has been a really huge growth area over the last decade and especially becoming 50. Now I'm 51, but the the idea of like what feels in an alignment has changed. Yeah. And on a weekly basis, things feel like, oh, well, this isn't really working for me now. It used to. It's not where I'm outgrown this role or outgrown yeah. these clothes. And I think as part of our dance and co-leading, especially in in front of large groups and behind the scenes, there's been many times where we've stepped on each other toes or you've said <laughs> something and it I completely disagreed with it and you know, shut down. Or I've said something and you've taken it completely in a different way than I intended to. And so trying to learn about how do we intervene when we're misaligned as well to get back into alignment. And sometimes it helps us to see the common ground, like where are we coming from? Sometimes it helps to leave leave the subject alone. Sometimes it we literally have to hang up on each other and and stop the call, <laughs> right? Or I hang up on you because I'm so fucking pissed, you know, or whatever it is that, I just need to go outside and clear not my head. A joke. Yeah. Um, no, not a joke at all. It's real. But so, you know, just investing in alignment also means bringing awareness when you're you're misaligned and knowing yeah. knowing what that is for you as an individual, knowing how to practice being more aligned with a relationship, a partnership, co-leadership. And then how do you weave alignment in a team, culture, business, so that the individuals feel aligned to what is what they're great at, what lights them up? And those two things align to what is needed for the business. We actually have a term for this we facilitate called Trinity of Alignment. But that's like this incredible trinity. It's literally a triangle of when we can become more clear and aware of what we are passionate about, what we care about genuinely, that's not manufactured, that's unique to us. And then what are we really great at? What are our strengths? And knowing those two points of the triangle, when we know that, then we can align to what is the need at the business. And that is really how we build high-performing teams. So Invest in alignment with yourself first and foremost yeah. and trying or practicing. How do you know when you're in alignment? How do you know when you're not? What works for you? What expands you is a question we use and we have talked about a lot in the book and in our retreats. Where am I expanded? Where do I feel open? Where do I lean in? And then where do I feel contracted and closed and procrastinating? That question is so helpful in practicing alignment and knowing when you're not. Yeah, you brought up something else that I just want to mention too, which is the idea that 
when we talk about alignment, we're talking about something more than compromise. And I, I think those two things are often confused. We actually wrote a series of posts and a blog post about this this summer that, you know, compromise means that everyone's kind of giving, given something up. And alignment is a more rigorous, deeper, ongoing process where we find a solution that works for everybody that's better than anyone giving up one thing. And it's a, it's a deeper conversation, but I think people hear us say alignment and they think, okay, well, everybody kind of makes, makes their compromise and everybody, you know, gives a little bit and you know, we're talking about actually investing to find solutions that are better and more powerful. So the other thing that occurs to me as you're talking is a long time ago, when we worked together at Campus Pipeline, there was an outside consultant who came in to do lead the transition for a um, CEO that was hired by the board anyway, blah, blah, blah. But the consultant said to us, um, there's a difference between being kind and being nice. Being kind is telling the truth and being nice is covering it up. And I often have thought of that. And at the time when I heard it like 25 years ago, it just annoyed me. But I think about it often now and how we need more kindness in the world and being willing to tell the kind truth. And I think alignment requires the kind truth and compromise is about being nice. You know, I've been in companies and cultures where people like to say, oh, I think we're saying the same thing, which sounds like it's a way of getting us to agreement, but it's a really a way of saying I'm uncomfortable with conflict and can we move on? And alignment really is the respect that you show someone else to say, let's go deeper. Sounds like we're not on the same place with this. I want to understand how you view it. And I want to be able to share how I view it and let's create something better together. So with that. Yeah, I love that. And the better together, I think is the North star, right? I think alignment when we think about it and certainly when we bring the brand of compass. So we use a compass for a reason, right? It points due north and, or due north is at the top, right? And I, and it, that's when we're aligned, we can get to where we're going. We can, we can accomplish the better world, the impact that we're making um, in a more, with more ease, with more efficiency and with more productivity. When we're misaligned, we waste a lot of time there's yeah. we we waste a lot of resources and often we're misaligned in knowing where we're going so it's really a call to organizations to clarify and get in tune with not only what does alignment look like and feel like within the culture of your business but are you aligned to where you want to go to mm-hmm. you know the impact you want to make and we can take that for ourselves personally as well why are we here what are we here to accomplish so that takes us into number nine. We can do it. The clock number is, nine, come on. you know, really builds on everything else too. I think this realization that has felt really personal and tough to practice and uncomfortable is this idea that impact, the impact we want to make in the world, the impact we have on each other often comes from being vulnerable. And it goes back to being our whole selves, but getting to the underbelly, going deeper than the surface, really sharing 
how you think and feel first and foremost with yourself and if you're comfortable with another that vulnerability of owning your learnings from mistakes from times that you wish you had done things differently your own self being willing to see it and acknowledge it sharing that you're scared sharing that you don't know like all these things have been really scary for me in getting to the underbelly of like the real human Jennifer that doesn't have it all together, that strives to hold it together. <laughs> you know, the the parts of me that have been uncomfortable sharing how I really feel in a room of executives. And getting more practiced and comfortable being vulnerable in those shares. And again, it all takes discretion, but I really have noticed in my writing, in my speech, that the more honest and vulnerable I am with my personal experience, the more it lands with others, more people can relate. And not everyone, but the impact I seek to make in the world seems to come from a place of vulnerability, of real deep honesty, of speaking truth to what is or how I see and feel things and trusting that it's going to be okay if I share it. So it's it's not been a comfortable place. It's still not a comfortable place, but I'm I'm amazed that when I go there, how impactful it is. Yeah. I feel so grateful that we work almost always now in situations with people with teams where vulnerability is wanted needed accepted and i'm really shocked from the time to time that we might be in a sales meeting or we might um get invited somewhere or speak to a group and i see that most of the world still treats being emotional as being weak and being vulnerable as being silly, you know, and being open as being naive. I think we just are so fortunate that we work with such conscious leaders and such conscious organizations that I sometimes take for granted how difficult it can be for so many people to just show a little bit of who they are and who they want to be. So uh, I'm both grateful and feel like there's so much work still to do. You know, for a long time, when I was leading larger teams, I used to say to people that a way I can tell if someone is smart is if they say, I don't know, you know, because people who are confident in their intellect are willing to say, I'm not sure about something. And I feel the same now in a broader sense about, I know when someone's very secure, when they say, I'm having a tough day or someone is has a strong sense of self when they say i'm not sure who i am anymore and there's this there's this interesting turnabout for me i'm probably being the projector here but for me it's a sign of the people i want to be around the people i'm aligned with is the people who are confident enough in themselves but also trusting enough in me to say when they're confused when they're uncertain, when they're unsure. So I couldn't agree more 
for you, for me, for everyone that we're around, that it's absolutely the power center, I think, to be able to say, mm, I'm struggling, I'm not sure, I don't know, I want something else. To me, it's just such a sign of, it's such a gift to receive from someone else to know that they trust you with that information and they don't think that you're going to manipulate, use it, condemn them, criticize them for it. And that's the world I want to live in. You know, I want to live in that world where we don't have to feel like we, we can, we're going to get pricked and prodded that we can feel like we can grow into the people we're meant to be. Lovely. And that takes us into the last one, doesn't it? Yes. Tee it up. The last thing we've learned is the thing that we knew at the beginning and that we practice every day, which is that there is plenty for everyone. And maybe I'll let you unpack the things that we mean by that. And I'll just start with this. One of the best things we did was to make this plenty and to make our vision our name. And we say our vision is our name, a world of plenty for everyone. And, you know, I thought of this last week at Lantern Gen and didn't have an opportunity to share it. And it's present again for me now. I do think our vision is our name, but I also think how we've shown that we live, our purpose is our name, our passion is our name, our presence is our name, our people is our name. Our position is our name. And most of all, our practice is our name. The constant practice of orienting to the idea of plenty, uh, the idea of abundance. And it is the vision for the world we want to be in. It's also the purpose for why we're here in the beginning. And it's, I think, the core thing that we feel strongly about. And we, one of the things that I think was, and I can't remember if this was five years ago, seven years ago, we extended that. We said, it's time to define what we mean by abundance. So that's what I wanted you to maybe share the three things that we think that idea of plenty for everyone entails, and then we can riff on those. Yeah. It really became the body, the foundation of our view, but also practice and on and our work, as you just said. And I think the it felt so good. It landed and it still mm. lands this idea mm. that there is enough to go around. The idea that you have enough. And most importantly, you are enough. Those three windows to how we define plenty really is our approach to plenty. It's the process of plenty. It's this ethos that we are not competing with each other, even though it looks like we are in so many different forms. Mm -hmm. But underneath the belly of competition is this idea that we're competing with the mindset and that mindset scarcity that there's not enough to go around. So I have to be better than you. I have to achieve more than you to be worthy. I have to attain more. I have to accumulate more. I have to look better and be better. And 
you know, if we really can name the construct of the issue of scarcity, then we have more capability to disarm it. And that kind of leads us into this second idea of the, well, what if we actually had enough? What if there was more than enough to go around? And what if that construct of scarcity wasn't true? What if we could really place our attention onto the blessings we have and the resources we have and bring gratitude to the enoughness of what is in our lives, in our environment. And it really kind of connected to the idea of, well, when we bring more thankfulness to what we have and we can see the beautiful blessings we've been given every single day, our health, our home, even when we're going through difficult times, if we can just orient to one good thing, that one good thing gives us the capability to receive another good thing. So the more we bring our awareness to what we have, the more we are ushered in to be, to have more, to be more, to be more grateful. And underneath that is kind of the epidemic of not feeling enough. Mm-hmm. So what if you you were enough, just as you're designed right now, that even the feelings of lo- feeling lost and overwhelmed and scared and not gotten and whatever it is going on for you, that what if you were perfectly designed to be all who you were in that moment? And that's the practice. That's where we see the crux of our work whether it's in an organization or in our individual retreats, the feeling of enoughness yeah, that, that somehow, you know, we have holes to fill and that we feel broken in some ways. And how is that serving us any longer? And is it serving us any longer? So, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, the optimistic part of that too is that what if we're whole and complete? What if we have everything we need? And this is the core DNA of the organization. You know, our logo is a ripple. And the meaning is we start with ourselves, we start where we are. We don't need anything else other than our own heart and our own love. And we can make a huge difference, not just in our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. So it's a lovely, it's been a lovely through point for the and, work. Yeah. And a, and a beautiful practice to practice what you preach. I think this has been our personal journey of releasing the mindset of scarcity and really bringing gratitude and orientation to the abundance of all that is and to practice feeling enough and knowing that we are enough. We are perfectly designed to be here now and that that's the work. Um, and that's the prayer, right? That we all yeah. feel like we have a place. And as you say, and have coined that your part matters and that you're here for a reason and that we're here too. And how fun it is to to do it together, to create a world of plenty for everyone. And we hold that in our hearts that that is possible. It's in our future and it's a reality we we choose to co-create. It's lovely. So maybe I'll take us out. We 
are so grateful that you listened to this and that you were part of our first 10 years and that we were part of your life and your journey. And we hope we can be part of your life into the next year and into the new year and that you'll be part of ours. And we're going to have to give a ton of time for the 20 year anniversary because 20 things are going to take up <laughs> eight hours. But for now, folks, thanks for listening. Please rate us, subscribe, give us a review. We need it and we appreciate them more from us coming in the new year. And we're so thankful for all of you. There's plenty for you and there's plenty for us. And how lucky are we? Thank you all. Thanks for tuning in. Join the conversation and learn more at plentyconsulting.com.